All right, Mr. Develop, Develop, how you doing, Ben? Welcome doing back. Doing great, dude. Excellent. I hope you're pretty stoked today. What, LeBron did what? <laughs> LeBron eliminated Steph. The Lakers beat the Warriors. Uh, Putting a bet on anybody that's trying to say Steph's better than LeBron. LeBron's the best ever. I stayed I up mean, late. I'm a little bit tired. I mean, you got to stick with Ohio boys, right? You can't bet against Ohio. That's right. Akron, it... Cleveland, our only world championship. I mean, whoever's going to take bets against LeBron is just dumb, even if he's in his 40s. Yeah, and I mean... He was looking kind of old in, in in some of the first games of the series, and Steph was killing it. But he last night LeBron just dominated. It was perfect. That's what happens when you get those good uh, Lakers Lakers money for that good drugs, <laughs> those good painkillers, those good uh, that good. Adderall. Oh yeah, him and Anthony Davis, they got their they got all their <laughs> shit together. Yeah, man, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's funny, man. I'm forty three. How old are you? Forty. So I mean, it's like I I can feel it. I can feel that I'm not as um, I, I hit the gym daily. I go on runs. I try to live a healthy lifestyle when it comes to eating and stuff like that. I drink way too much beer. Uh, but uh, besides that, you know, I can feel it. I can feel that I'm getting older. And so, like, I know if I was competing against a 20-year-old Matt, there'd be no way. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I know I can feel it. I'm trying to do a little bit better. I'm needing my eight hours the last, like, couple of years, whereas I never needed eight hours. I was an animal. So uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, yeah, and it's also, but you know, the, also the, the flip side of this is mentally, I'm better. Um, I'm much more emotionally secure. I'm much more emotionally mature. Um, my outlook of the world is a lot stronger than, even though I might be, you know, jaded or pessimistic or cynical about a lot of things. Uh, it's more clear. I have much more of a focus. I'm stronger physically than I was ever was when I was, you know, even though I'm not as spry or, you know, I have as much energy or I can recover as fast. I'm way stronger than I was when I was 20, 30 years old. Got that old man strength. Got, got that, that old, dad strength. Got that old man <laughs> strength, man. Yeah, I think the, the what you said about the mental, like the clear, the clearness, uh, that really hits home. That really hits home. I, mean, I, I don't really do like meditation or anything like that, but I try and kind of be more reflective and, and just kind of take a bigger view than the, you know, the world revolves around me, which I, I'm guilty as probably most people. I did that all the time in my 20s for sure. Oh, I, you know, that's funny is because I think that that's a, a healthy way to look. I mean, that might be weird, but it's like, I, I, this is not going to come out right. I know, I know it's not going to come out right, but I think a lot of people put their happiness in their, uh, um, out on like other people. So you try to care for this person or that person or these different things or whatever. And your, your happiness is based off of their happiness. And I think that putting it, it putting it to be selfish, be like my happiness is based off of what I the fuck want to do. And if you don't like it, or, you know, if you're not happy about it, then I just cut you off and I'm going to be focused on what I want to do. And that's like a, like a selfish way to look at it. But I think that in my opinion, I think that's healthier healthy, yeah. because you start to create these weird, like dependent relationships with people or it. Yeah. For, yeah uh, you don't, you don't want those um, attachments that'll make you feel like you're in prison and kind of uh, like you were saying, dependent on other people, stuff you can't control. So for sure that yes. For sure so, I don't. I don't know. I just. That's, I guess it's my philosophy right now of being like, you know, hyper focused on what makes me happy, but it's not being selfish. Like I want to take from everybody, but I won't allow you to take from me. You know what I'm saying? I think that's maturity. I think you have to separate. You know, right? The uh, Ryan Holiday, that Stoic stuff. You have to separate what you control from what you can't control. And if you don't 
toe that line, if you don't have that right balance, it will make, like saying, it will make you unhappy, which will then lead you to not be in a good place to help your loved ones as much, stuff like that. So I think a, a more focused uh, on you, a more well-balanced, mentally kind of clear, focused and goals will help you to have all those good relationships that you actually want to have. Do you, but you're reading the Daily Stoic still. This is your second time oh, through the book? Yes, at least second. It might be, I might be third. Yeah. Yeah. It's been all of COVID really since COVID started March uh, 2020. And yeah, that, that really helps me. Like I, I'm not a super religious person. I went to like Catholic school my whole life. Um, and so I think at some point when, I don't wanna speak for you, but when I got into politics, it's like, okay, well, I know people are unhappy. I know the balance is off. I know we've got a lot of poverty, uh, but who are the authorities? Like you can't, you, I don't listen to politicians as authorities, right? Like I said, I'm not a very religious person. So digging back toward like old philosophers, um, yeah, finding good, finding good authorities, right? Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mark Aurelius and, and Seneca, the Stoics, um, it's, it's an, stuff. I'm, re you know. I'm reading through uh, Marcus Aurelius' meditations right now as well. Um, me per for me personally, it's Alan Watts. I think Alan Watts oh, is... Oh, yes! The Buddhism stuff. Yeah, like, like uh, I think a lot of people that have never looked into it think Buddhism is a religion. Right. And no, it's, it's a really way of, a philosophy. Exactly, exactly. It's a philosophy of life. It's a way of... Um, calming yourself, calming your mind, as well as putting things into perspective as your place in the universe, uh, how big you feel you are, as a uh, big thing about Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, is you are part of the universe. I guess that's kind of like being the idea of like being, of if God exists, you are God, and like you are part of this whole thing that is God. Or being part of, and if without, replace God with nature, nature, the universe, or the energy force or whatever you want to put there. It's just like being part of one. And that's basically what Buddhism kind of focuses there. So I wouldn't call it a religion either. Right, right. And, and so, yeah, the, the, that stuff really helped me to spur me to, to run for office because you can't say I want to be the boss, right, or I want to be in charge of policy or this or that if you're not grounded in something that, is like you said, good for God and all, or good for all, you know? So, um, and, and if you listen to your, Dem like I'm a Democrat, you're a Democrat. If you listen to the Democrats, I mean, they're really kind of, even though you may align with them on where they stand on issues like pro-choice or this or that, uh, immigration, I know we're gonna talk about, um, they're still really only arguing for half, for their, for their um, chamber, their, right. their echo chamber. And, and that's not good for the rest of the world and, the re and all of America. So. Right. Another person I, I went down the rabbit hole with um, quite a bit was uh, Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did a little bit, but I don't know. I, I haven't read a lot of his stuff. The Power of Now, of course, he has a lot of stuff on YouTube where he has these seminars, people asking questions, and he tries to tell you about what it is to be present and creating um, spiritual awakeness and, 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 you know, presence within your daily life and how to navigate the development from being an unpresent person to a present person in the, in, I guess, the ripples of effects that it's going to put on your life. Anyway, Eckhart is another one that I, I read and followed quite a bit, but um, we're not really, we're not really talking about, how do we turn this into a, into a Buddhist uh, I don't remember. meditation camp? I don't, I don't remember. You're just saying you're feeling older, you know, getting your 43 
and I'm 40 and I, that really hits home with me because I think, uh, like I said, I need my eight hours of sleep now. I am feeling kind of like an older man, but it's not just the physical, it's the, it's the mental and kind of putting yourself in a place to be happy. And then, like you said, the ripple effects will, if you, if you can get well, if you can get happy, if you can get clarity, it will have phenomenal effects on for you, your family, your friends. 100%. Um, and I think the hardest thing about this is it, about the clarity is being able to action the clarity because once you have clarity and you might know what the right thing is, but you feel that it's wrong because it will piss somebody off or it will strain relationships or it will, uh, you know, change your life. You know, it's kind of like that one saying is like the one, one change can change your whole life. Right. And if it's, that one change is, I would say either clarity or a new habit or just dropping an old habit. You know, if it's a bad habit, even if it's a habit that you've done for a long time just to change, to get out of your comfort zone, that is the hardest thing is to deal with those effects of that are going to come from that change. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's scaring or it's worrying. And sometimes, you know, when you come from a place of fear, it, it, will, it will hinder you. You know, if you live scared, you'll fail to live. And so the, these... This realization and that path forward, uh, again, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I only felt comfortable running for office once it was like, okay, I don't mind pissing people off. You know, I, I wasn't running to actually be popular. I was actually running to kind of challenge the system, uh, create some cognitive dissonance in the people that might see and hear the things I was saying. And, and it's going to upset a lot of kind of people who don't really like their word worldview challenged. Mm. So uh, to do that, yeah, I think you have to be well. Right. Right. Um, not on the list, but what do you think about... Um, we, we, we spoke about Asian quite a bit when it comes to politics. But do you think... I was trying to think of like, what is the best age for every office? And like this is one, this is one of my little thought experiments. And of what's the best age for a congressperson in the House of Representatives, what's the best age for a senator, what's the best age for the president of the United States. And I, and I kind of came on to, to the, like, where everybody says we need younger people in politics. I don't know if that's for every position. Like, I feel like an older, an, it all depends. And it all depends what you're looking for when you want to get out of the person. It all depends on the person as well. But I do think the House of Representatives should have younger people. I mean, it's down to 28 for a reason. And I think you should have loaded up with 28-year-olds, 32-year-olds, 35-year-olds, and so on and so forth to get that youth, that vigor, that I guess the, because the districts are smaller, you know, get that into legislation and trying to move that through with like basically having the heartbeat of the new generation in Congress. I think that the Senate should be an older person, right? Like, um, you know, in their mid-50s, mid-60s, early 70s, somebody to slow that process down and actually have this, like, you know, dynamic between the House and the Senate. And they have the older person. I think the executive should be the, kind of the middle person, the 40s, the, the, the mid-40s, the 50s, that has that sort of, like, coming to this wisdom, but still has a little bit of risky, a little bit of, you know, energy of the youth, a little bit of, like, um, ide the ideology of, of, of youthful ideology as well to bring it into the office to create more of like a problem solving um, yet wise choice as well. So I don't know, I was, I was, what do you think? What do you think of the, like what ages should be, or just does well, it, it's up to the person or is it up to like the office or it really doesn't matter? I, I wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't paint it all with one brush and I also wouldn't say it doesn't matter. So uh, I think personally, 
the group of people you're representing probably probably matters. Uh, I don't know if I want to say most, but that to me that strikes me as something that's important. If you're from a district where um, you know you got a lot of older voters that care about this or that, you know, and you're we're talking about U.S. House or State House or something like that. Um, I think it's probably fine if, 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 if you're older. If maybe you're in San Francisco right now or, or you know, a, a Austin, Texas or something like that um, with younger voters or a younger, more active kind of base and you need to stay active and you need to kind of hear from all areas of your district, if you will, and it's a very diverse district in terms of, of diversity and age and, and things like that, then you probably actually want to be more kind of youthful, exuberant, and willing to willing to hash it out, right? And come up with new age, new economic um, ideas and, and debates and things like that. So you're saying that um, age, and I think you're right here, and I think that I'm going to rephrase this. I think when I'm saying age, age represents a, you said, youthful diversity, vigor, you know, energy, whatever. Uh, the energy to go hash things out, to talk and get all over the city or whatever. I think that that's like a mindset, yeah. It doesn't have a actual number onto it, but it's like the what is normal, I guess, youthful kind of like younger person um, characteristics, and if that's applied to somebody who's in their forties or fifties as well, yeah, job jumping, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. but but yeah, I think you want to be representative representative of the of district, your di- yeah, of your voter base, if you will. And so I think, because like for me, I originally came into this politics game from judicial politics. And like the way you started the conversation, I think that's far more applicable to judicial politics. You should kind of like, if I was telling the world how to live its life, which I don't like to do, but you should probably want to be a lawyer for like 10, 15 years, 20 years, run for maybe muni judge, run for court of appeals. Maybe you're a little bit older, state Supreme Court, you know, something like that. So. Uh, because you're going to achieve all this wisdom and have seen all these different debates along with changing of what's relevant over the decades as well. So uh, having worked with a lot of judges and on a lot of judicial campaigns, I think the age thing, and then you don't want Diane Feinstein and Biden being your judges, right? And so in Ohio, we have the age limit. You can't run past 70 years old. So um, right. I think these are uh, nuanced discussions, but I think that's the way I look at it at least. All right, speaking of a non-nuanced discussion, uh, Ohio August election is coming and the election is going to be to change the Constitution so that um, grassroots or people-powered amendments to said Constitution has to pass a 60% threshold on the ballot, meaning it's not just a simple majority of 50 plus 1. It's going to be 60% plus 1 or 60 plus 1. Um and it's also going to have a lot of more restrictions of how you get things to the ballot, basically empowering the 40% to control the 60%. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, once you saw this, going to be heading to August election? Well, I'm really worried. Um, you know, I think minority rule, 40% plus one, that's that's pretty ridiculous in a changing world. Um <clears throat> This is, I think, being bankrolled by um, the wealthiest among us, the, uh, in some cases, the non-Ohioist among us, <clears throat> and they're going to be using messaging that says um, this will make it easier for 
out of state uh, uh, interest to change if we don't vote for this and, and then it'll be an abortion thing and all that. Um, I'm really worried, I, but I, I, I put my faith in the people. I think it, it will fail. Um, I hope that it's not a Republican Democrat thing. I hope it's uh, uh, the, those of us who are unconnected uh, coming together you know, Republicans and Democrats, uh, voters, lifelong voters, if you will, you know, I'm, I'm a loyal Dem or I'm a loyal Republican. Um, your, your Democrats are not serving you and your Republicans are not serving you. So this is about people power. Um, hopefully it will not be a partisan thing. Like if you're a Republican, you need to vote no on this. If you're Democrat, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, opposite way around. If you're a Republican, you need to vote yes on this. If you're a Democrat, you need to vote no on this. This is all about abortion. It's not all about abortion. There's going to be numerous ripple effects, minimum wage, whatever the current issue is, the world changes, new issues arise. Uh, the people should be in charge of policy and how the rule of law. And so I'm worried. I, I think that up until this point, I think that everybody was organizing accordingly um, when you when things go to the state house you and you don't like the bills going through the state house you go to the representatives in the state house and you make your case you do that by protesting with signs by speaking up in the chamber and so on and so forth we kind of knew how this was going to go here in ohio because of the way the politics you know lean there were some republican representatives that voted against this uh, tom Patton from um fairview park strong no is he strongsville Fairview Park, I think. Anyway, he's the Fairview Park area. I don't know what other cities is part of his district, honestly. Um, he voted against it, and there's a couple other people. Once it's out of that chamber, it's like you said, it's up to the people. And so a lot of people are protesting. Um, this might sound harsh. I am not worried, and no, nor do I really care. For, for two different reasons. The first reason is I am not worried because I do not believe Ohio will allow this to happen. I think everybody understands what a democracy should look like or what it does look like. And of course, there's other debates about what it should look like, but what, it sh what we have had historically, people want 50 plus one. That is democracy in our minds. And so I don't think the people of Ohio are going, I think it's going to go down in, a, in fucking flames. I think it's going to be like 80%. God, we, we we didn't, don't we have a bet on this? Um, I think we had a bet. Yeah, me, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a twenty dollars bet. Sixty-five percent versus fifty-five percent. I think it's I more. Think, I think it's closer. I think it's going to go come down, go down in, in in flames. If it doesn't go on, down in flames, uh, again, I don't care. If it gets passed, we deserve what we vote for as as people. And this is this might sound harsh, but look, if Ohio and the people of Ohio allow themselves to lose the power of the people then it is not the, the fight of the minority anymore. It is the majority rule. That is the majority. And the majority said, I am going to give away my power. Therefore, we're going to have to let it play out. Well, of course. I mean, I, I still believe in the voting process. All. I'm not saying the world should be the way that, that I want it to be. You're, you're, you're right about this. But I think where people are fed up and why this is coming is that we've already lost the, peop the, the power of the people. And so... <clears throat> Uh, right, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. In in other red states, in other red states, the majority of the people are want um, no strict ban on abortion. They want the right to choose. Okay, 
And so that's, even though Ohio's traditionally a red state, right? J.D. Vance won like 54, 46, something like that. Uh, Trump has won the last two times. That doesn't, the, the, the choice issue, if the people are in charge of the policy, would be 55%, 58%, maybe even 60%, we don't know. The majority, the people power, want this to be the law. They want this to be the policy. And they know that none of their representatives, just like when, just even like at the federal level, Obama had 59 senators, uh, the, the House and him did not codify Roe. Uh, Joe Biden had 52 Democratic senators, the House and himself did not codify Roe. So everybody knows where the majority of the people are on this issue. And that's why they're going to fear monger um, the, 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 the Republican side of this. They're going to put that in front of you as the issue. But this has ripple effects beyond that. So we need our representatives to do, to do the will of the people, and they're not. And so that's the genesis of this in the first place. Now, you're right. We're going to get what we vote for. You get the leaders you vote for. You know, me and you both lost elections. You know, I, I think we were in those because we thought we were by far the best candidates, you know, but it's hard for people to organize. It's hard for people to organize. And thank you because you've been out already on petition issues because we know we can't trust our legislators. Look, I, I yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess... I guess what I'm saying is that I can't trust a democracy without allowing the democracy to be do the have the democratic process, right? And in times where people are confused and and uh, they feel that there's a threat coming to them, if it's economic or military or you know um, social. social or whatever, uh, more than more than times than not not they turn into authoritarian actions, right? And you'll see that we need to take actions, grant this person a power or grant uh, the state house more power so they can protect us. Uh, that's what uh, Padme said in Revenge of the Sith, right? Right, um, right, right. Democracy dies with a furious round of applause. Uh, yes, so this is how liberty dies with a th thunderous round of applause. Um, and I feel that this is going to be Look, we both know how we want this, this to be voted on. Again, I'm going to say, if the people vote to, to change the Constitution, to take away power of the people, we fucking deserve it. That's what I'm saying. And if this is how Ohio is going to go, and other states go that way, then we just have to let this play out. I think right now it's up to people to get out to say how to vote, to say why this is important, um, but again, I am not worried about the outcome. I am worried. I'm not worried about the outcome because that would be the outcome of the people. And if it's the people that go out and pay attention. And at the end of the day, a, a few people, and this is an interesting thing I've been talking to people about. I had a great conversation with a friend of mine who is working on something called decentralized autonomous organizations. Do you know what that is? No. So they're called DAOs, a decentralized autonomous organization. And it's a form of government's government governance on chain, on like a blockchain or whatever, that is that allows people to take control of um, structures or, or corporate structures um, in, in the democratic process by voting and delegating and so on and so forth. And the thing that people are wor trying to work out right now is what's the best way to structure this? Is it one person, one vote? 
Now, a lot of people say one person, one vote, but when you're working on a corporate structure as well, and I think we spoke about this a little bit a, a couple episodes ago, is that you see that just because the person has more, okay, in this, in this instance, it's one token, one vote. And so just like a shareholder, if you have more shares, you get a bitter, bigger weight of votes, right? Even though it's one person and you get a shit ton of weight in, behind your votes. How do you structure that process when you have people going out doing the work, when you have people that are really uh, committed, when you have people that are very educated, when you have people that are you know, committing themselves to a certain cause or at a certain company or, 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 or project or DAO or whatever, and how do you make a more equitable system, and I'm going to use the word equitable, something that you don't usually use, to, to give those people the authority or the vote power regardless of with with a I guess a um, with a collection of the different attributes that creates their weighted vote. So it doesn't mean that Ross, you might have a million shares or a million tokens or a million whatever for your weighted vote, but me having no having one token can maybe outweigh you because of my participation, my my commitment, my going out to do the do projects, my you know just everything can outweigh your vote. And so it's just been it's just interesting. So. I don't know where, where I was going with this, to be honest with you. No, no, I, I think it's extremely uh, important to think about because um, I get it. What you're talking about is more organizational rule, could be more local rule, things like that, which is uh, a corporate rule, a co cooperative rule. But we're not going to be around forever. The, the world is bigger than us. And so um, we want to see the bigger picture. And, and what this would be doing, yes, I agree. It, it, in this one vote, the people are going to get what we vote for, again, just like with Biden, just like with Trump. But this takes away uh, our kids' ability, you know, uh, in Ohio to have one person, one vote, so that when they go to vote on minimum wage... I mean, it's still one person, one vote. It's just right, you need right. more it's, people. It's, it's not majority rule. I, I, I don't like that one. There's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a sign that's coming around that says one person equals one vote. It's still one person equals one <laughs> that's vote. That's a great point. That, that's actually a great it's point. It's actually stupid it's, talking it's, points from... It's, it's a very stupid uh, marketing move. It's minority... Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. That gets to what I was talking about. This can't be Democrats versus Republicans. Because really what it is, is it makes it... Okay, let's say I have five kids and you have five kids. We've got 10 kids. Now it makes four of them in charge of the six of them, you know? And, and so that in that case, the six of them on every single issue down the line, they don't get what they voted for. They don't get what they voted for. See, again, this is, goes to, look, there's a very small majority of people that, are, that know about this already. There's a very small, small, small majority. There's a very small amount of people that know about this bill. There's a very small amount of people that are going to go out and vote in August. There's a very That's small. That's why about, they're doing it. But yeah, absolutely, this is why they're doing it. But again, this is called your civil duty, and the the we have shitty turnout in elections. It's dwindling down. Our confidence in our systems and our institutions is dwindling down. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if people don't care. People say they're too busy, which I don't think people are too busy. Uh, they just don't give a shit. Or they rather do other things. Um, and so be, what I think is like, I'm going to continue to work for what I think is right. But if the people don't want to work for it and the people don't want to vote for it, you get what you deserve. And, yeah. this, and, you, and you, or, or you pay for what you get. And you get what you pay for, both of them. And so if your kids are going to be hurt by the, the populace's lack of giving a shit, then that's the way it has to be until we have an overturn, you know, because that still is democracy, and that's our, our dwindling civic engagement 
within the United States. And so to be perfectly honest, this is a whole thing about all kinds of different issues within yeah. the U.S. We're talking about health. Health in the United States is, a, is abysmal. Not only our healthcare system, the way that people look at food, the, the food we have access to, the, the marketing, the, the shit that we're allowed to put out to put into people's bodies, the shit that people put into their bodies, the lack of activity, the lack of you know, care, you know, the lack of... You know, big food. Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of things. And so we have the fattest nation on earth. You know, unhealthy people, you know, so uh, that's one thing. Debt is another thing. Like how many people actually have money in their in their bank account for uh, emergencies? Now, we call it the thing that everybody says is, oh, because we're not making enough. Look, we our wages have been stagnant for a long time. We understand that. But there's still a point where you have to trim your shit. You have, don't have to live in the biggest house or have two cars and have two car payments and have all kinds of phones and have kinds of streaming services. And I know that's being kind of playing the blame game a little bit. And I know people would say, well, why can't you have this? This is America. I agree with that at the same time. If you don't have that, trim the fuck up and have $1,000 in the bank if you need it. And, but so we continue perpetuating these unhealthinesses in the United States. Health, uh, debt slavery, um, criminal justice system. The criminal justice system as well that's absolutely screwed, you know. So it's like we have all we have all of these detriments, and at sooner point, at some point, we, or some point, we have to take personal responsibility. That says, "Oh, I'm not engaged with any of those motherfuckers, and this is the outcome." Well, it, it's tough to, like you said, about dwindling faith in institutions. It's I don't really, uh, I don't, I don't generally agree with non-voters, but I see where they're coming from. I respect them. I love them. I, like you said, I don't think it's because people are too busy, especially when you have 30 days ahead of election to go vote, right? Me and my wife would go vote early all the time. I just think that people see through the political theater. And, and for a long time now, they have not identified. First of all, we just had a, a primary election. People went out and voted for some levies, against some levies. You know, it probably wasn't the turnout in most of these localities that we would want. But as for candidates, which generally gets you in the pattern of voting or not voting, um, I think a lot of people, as we saw with the 49%, are now identifying as independence poll. You, you, you don't want to identify with maybe what you feel are corrupt organizations, the, the Democrat and the Republican. And so I hope on this issue, on this August ballot, because Twitter is not real life, like what you were saying, um, people don't even, there's a lot of people that don't even know about this yet. Well, that's going to be up to all of us who who do know, who do kind of understand the game that's being played by the wealthy who are putting this back on the ballot in August after they just eliminated the possibility. This is very Orwellian. They just eliminated August elections because they're too costly. But now they see a way to keep the minimum wage down, to, to keep the wealth divide dividing. They see a way to do this and, and they're taking advantage of it because voter turnout is very low. So they'll only need to get a, a few zealots to, to get you to vote for minority rule. And so I think this is a very important, I don't think it should be a partisan thing. I do hope that previous non-voters come out in August. I certainly hope that independents come out in August. I'll do my part. I, I, have a very, I come from a very red area, Geauga County. It's actually gotten a little more purple but no, uh, you know, it, it has gotten a little more purple, but I will be asking my Republican family members and friends, you know, I will be letting them know, hey, this is the August election, this is the situation. Maybe I can sway eight, eight votes. You know what I mean? Maybe I could sway eight votes um, because I feel where I don't like influencing people on voting. I didn't render a um, endorsement in the Cleveland mayoral race. 
I don't really like telling you who to vote for or what to vote for, but this is an issue that I feel comfortable asking my family, like my brother, my brother's a non-voter because he thinks they're all criminals, right? I will, I will ask my brother, hey, will you come out in August and vote no on this? And he will do that for me because I, he's done that for me in the past. <sighs> okay. I don't know if uh, we got to any of the discussion of that. Long story short is go out to vote in August election <laughs> and you can vote. And vote how you want to vote. Bullshit. No. But I know how I'm no, voting. Vote no on this. I'm not telling you vote how you want to vote. No, vote no on this because then you can't, if you don't vote no on this, you can't vote how you want to vote on anything I, else. I would strongly suggest voting no on this, but one person, one vote. You've, uh, this is how we've gotten to this place. We have horrible candidates. We have horrible people in charge. And, and we don't generally vote our interests. So. Speaking of people in charge, you know, we have this debt ceiling uh, coming up here soon. Um, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, says that we could hit our debt ceiling by June, mid-June, late June, a little earlier than they originally thought, which means uh, we can't spend any more money <laughs> because we were, we're spending in debt. Uh, we have never had a balanced, we haven't had a balanced budget in a long time. I mean, we taken about... Clinton, maybe? I don't know, man. I don't know. Long story short is we've taken about $4.5 trillion in taxes and we spend about seven every year. Uh, basically, if you made $50,000, you're spending 70. <laughs> right? So it's like, uh, eventually, and, and then one day, and then every year you keep, you keep going back to your, your significant other and saying, hey, we gotta, you know, get more in debt. We have to get more in debt because we want to maintain our lifestyle. We want to get more in debt. And then, you know, for the past you know, years, your significant other was saying, okay, now you're at a million dollars in debt. And you come back one day and say, hey, we got to spend another extra 20 grand this year uh, to keep up our lifestyle. And one day they said, nah, we're not going to do that. And you, we got we to gotta cut down to pay this down off. And now, now instead of spending your 70 a year, you can't just even go back to your 50 because your debt still, still is there. You have to actually trim down to like, 25 grand living off of 25 grand of your 50 and start paying that other 25 to your debt uh, so you don't you know go into bankruptcy and and get kicked out of your house and stuff like that so this is the discussion do we raise the debt ceiling again ross well uh for your thank you for laying it out you're always much better on i think fiscal issues money issues than me uh, i think the household analogy is is fair is, is very fair um Yes, yes, you raise it because that's where we are in this time. But, but, you know, I've been yelling about this. I don't even know how long, 20 years. You have to stop, for me personally, you have to stop spending so much money on guns and bombs and the Pentagon and your military budget. And you're an RFK Jr. guy. Here we go. Well, it, it's not that. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been RFK long. RFK 2024. You know, whether it's Bernie or whatever, right? When Bernie says, hey, we can have this, we can have that, you know, I'll have my Republican family members. How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? And, of course, but we never question this this defense budget. We never question this, this aid to Ukraine. People are starting to question the aid to Ukraine. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so for me... Um, in this time, right, another debt ceiling raise. This is maybe like the 70th time. This happens every year, if not twice a year sometimes, you know, where, where, where they come up against this and sometimes they'll spend it and then they'll raise it. And so um, I'm not a finance guy. You're much better on this issue than me, but I, I think, yes, you raise it and then you start trimming 
who does who needs to get trimmed we are not getting the benefit of this i know they may want to tell you hey you're living your cozy life in your living room you know jack nicholson you want me on that wall you need me on that wall but i don't feel that um eliminating social programs medicaid and medicare uh, is going to do a benefit to the to the, the true American populace, the taxpayer, but stopping funding some of this weaponry, right? I mean, we're seeing too many mass shootings in America. You are what you are, you know. Stop putting billions, if not trillions, toward guns and bombs and aircraft carriers and all this, this stuff. Goes, this goes back to my uh, healthy lifestyle analogy of how we are not focusing on... Um, important things we're basically living in decadence uh and that like i said if you're not focused on your health or what you eat you know we're po we're you know given that we're also given that so our government is spending like fucking drunken sailors and then we're supposed to you know at home not spend like drunken sailors but actually what we're learning is that this is just the american culture lifestyle is let's get in way too much debt with shit that we can't afford let's have a stack up we have school student loans and houses and cars and phones and streaming services and shit like that and now we're fucking hate our lives because we have to go to work every fucking day and we're never going to see any you know until we pay off our house 30 years later hopefully hopefully unless you get a raise and then you're going to sell that house to get a bigger house then you hopefully you pay that off in 30 years again but we're just learning this from the way that the government government acts and so the only thing I'm gonna say is we have we have to raise this because this is how shit works um, but at the same time at the same time there has to be concessions and the thing is here's what I don't like about Biden's argument is that he's like well we raised it for Trump so you raise it for me no you need to figure out concessions but then that jump goes, off a bridge that's a horrible argument it's a fucking horrible argument and everybody sees that it's like what just because like no like this is how, first of all if you think that's the way you have to play politics you're absolutely fucking wrong and that's why the republicans are gonna come over here and just like you know put the screws in you because <laughs> because they know that's a bad argument and nobody believes that's a good argument um but to what you said you're gonna have to start giving haircuts and that's when we're gonna have uh you know probably haircuts across the board and the sad part is, and that goes to you, you said you're spending on guns and bombs in Ukraine and yada, 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 but nobody, there's only a few people that are gonna stomach and be able to say out loud without getting their political careers totally fucked, we need to cut uh, defense spending. We're, we're they're gonna cut and everybody's gonna applaud. Again, uh, liberty dies with thunderous applause. Is they're gonna cut Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security entitlements and things like that. That's where because there's still big parts of spending. Look, we have a massive defense budget, but equally as massive is our Medicare, actually just as big or bigger, as well as Social Security. So, well, I I um, even if they tell us on CNN and Fox and whatnot that people are applauding. Uh, I, I don't think that people want the, the social stuff cut any further. I do think that people want the defense budget um, cut further. So the, you're right. There are some people that's like, uh, and welfare and food stamps and, and this and that. But, you know, I mean, on the local level, I, I'm not like a defund the police guy, but I am a demilitarize the police guy. And if that, if that leads to getting to spend less on the police, then I'm super happy with that. You know, and so I don't think that you should be having tanks that the military can no longer use and, and localities are buying them. Like the only trickle down economics we have is weapons dealing. Like that's it. And so, um, yeah, man, the haircut for me, I do not think that people will applaud if they cut Medicare, Medicaid, all this stuff. If you look at Trump's attacks on DeSantis, 
they're very much based in DeSantis is already trying to cut this stuff, you know, and Trump is, has gotten 75 million votes. He got 65 million before that. Uh, and if you look at a Trump commercial or a Trump speech, it's very much look at DeSantis's voting record in the House. He's trying to cut Medicare and Medicaid. So one thing I really wanted you to watch was Trump in the CNN interview, which you did not watch. Uh, he said that we should nip it in the bud. He said that, hey, um, they shouldn't raise the debt ceiling. Like sooner or later, we're gonna not, we're not gonna be able to raise the debt ceiling. And it's either gonna come at a great cost or it's gonna come with pain. And he said he chooses pain. Let's do it now, let's get it done, let's cut some things across the board, let's not raise the debt ceiling and get our spending under control. Um, and that means he's going to default. Now, people who are criticism says, well, that's what Donald Trump did with business all his life. He just went everything in bankrupt and he defaulted and blah, blah. But he does maybe have a point. Now, if you were listening to the audience podcast with uh, Chamath Palapitiya, he says that there's, there's two different ways of looking at this from their point of view. So there's four, four guys on the show. Two of them think that we have to do that. We have to control spending. We have to nip it in the bud. Um, let's get it done now, then later. Other people are saying, like Chamath Patila says that, look, politicians are never going to do this. It's bad for them. It's bad for the donors. It's bad for the populace. There's no such thing as cutting and getting reelected. So he says that we're going to see GDP go to 200%, 300%, 400%. It's going to go as high as it absolutely fucking can until it can't go anymore, and then we'll deal with it. What do you think is going to happen? I'm with I'm, I'm actually with Palapatia because I think that this is just how the majority is going to work. It's like even though that some people will say, "Hey, we have to be, take this seriously and put cuts into the budget next time and start to balance this out and let's have a you know a thirty year plan," I think that most people are just going to say, "Yeah, raise it, raise it, raise it, raise it. It's good for me. It's good for me. Everybody keeps it going." Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see anything changing whether it's Trump or Biden, Republican president, Republican House, Democrat. It, it doesn't seem like it can ever change. I don't really think. It's because of the re-election thing. Um, I think that House of Cards is a lot different. I think that is a big House of Cards um, where everybody hates um, the Senate but likes their senator. Everybody hates the council but likes their counselor. And these incumbents continue to win. I think that's a different discussion. Um, but I, I, do, I do think they will keep the dam up. I, do, I don't think the dam's coming down this month. You know, and I do think we'll keep doing what we're doing we're going to extend the, the debt ceiling. We're going to continue spending. I don't think right now they're going to cut either social stuff, domestic stuff, or military stuff. So uh, I think with the pain point, when will the pain point come? Like Trump and, the, and, and your guys talking about, I think it's down the road. And I think it's past Trump, even if Trump wins. I, don't, I think Trump's just talking a big game. He was in office four years already. He, right. he speaks with his actions. You speak with your actions. Right. I and I, and I do agree with that as well. Um, I, I think that it's just going to keep it's going to keep going. And I think that if the politicians get their way, the interest rates are going to go down as fast as possible because we want the gravy train to keep money or to keep uh, going in there. We want people's four hundred one ks to go back up. Um, and so I think we're just going to perpetuate this. Yeah, perpetuate this. That's that's a that's a good way of putting it. That's what I think as well. Uh, I, I do think that the solution is not a. I don't think that the solution is the only solutions that they're telling us. First of all, here's how I think it's going to be played out. I think that there is going to be a concession, and I think that there are going to be concessions when they say raise the debt ceiling, but it's going to be some kind of like, you know how they, you know how they had these bills with like all kinds of like budget cuts, you know, they say, well, we're going to reduce the deficit by this much, and Joe Biden says, um, one thing that's on our list is, is I'm going to start taxing crypto at 
30% for Bitcoin miners at 30%, which is going to save us $24 billion a year or something like that. And then we're going to, you know, try to stop this excessive loophole for tax harvest, harvesting from crypto, which is going to save us another $24 billion a year. And basically that doesn't mean anything. Those are just like, like buzzwords. Those, those are, we don't know if that's actually going to play out the way it's going to play out or if it's actually enforceable or actually uh, achievable or you're able, able to get that money. And I think that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see a lot of like, um, those kind of like wordplay jargons is like we did this we're going to save a trillion dollars over 10 years and it's really not going to play out the way it's supposed to well it sounds like um what you and they are both referencing is new streams of income and so in ohio we know we know ohio is very poorly run and they've kind of lowered the tax rate on corporations they've lowered the uh, the income tax rate they have the ohio lottery they have all this stuff well what have we seen in ohio in the last five years um certain certain uh, people can sell marijuana, right? Some regulation on that. And then Ohio, and then now sports gambling, which has exploded, right? Because if you make something legal, you can tax, you can tax it and, and you can get some money in whereas you didn't have it beforehand. So um, I don't know about the Biden stuff on crypto. Again, that's a good you topic. And I, I know it's on our list because he just issued a statement uh, and people get up in arms about it. It's very important. It's a very important current event. Um, but <clears throat> you know, I would reduce spending on killing the stuff that I've talked about numerous times and I would legalize certain things. Well, well, be really quick. I wasn't saying that new streams of revenue. What I was saying is these new streams of revenue are a bunch of bullshit. And what I'm trying to say is I think in the budget res resolution, when it comes to saying like, this is how we're going to trim our spending, I think it's going to be a bunch of bullshit spending trims. Like they're gonna say, we're gonna introduce a tax on carbon ca capture throughout uh, coal mining industries within the Northwest. Um, <laughs> and it's gonna re recoup a trillion dollars over, over 30 years. And there's no way to implement that. There's no way to monitor that. There's quantify no way to that, yeah. quantify that. There's yeah. no way to track that. The and it's just, yeah. and they're just gonna throw it on paper in some kind of fucking word, word Show you this jumble. Is, this is our new idea. This, this is our new idea. We've, yeah. we've done it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, okay. like, it's gonna be gotcha. a bunch of bullshit. Complete lies, complete politics. Complete lies. bullshit. Gotcha. And then they're gonna be like, oh, this is what we did. And then gotcha. the Republicans could go pat themselves on the back. The Democrats could say that we held them to what we want. Now we're gonna get our, yeah. you know, our, our Green New Deal and shit. And it's gonna be like all bullshit. That makes a lot That makes a lot of sense. That's what I think the concession is gonna be. So you're gonna raise the ceiling and you're going to have this, this word jumble bullshit come out of, of fake numbers and we're going to be like, oh, everybody did a great Some job. Some form of what we know in Cleveland to be bullshit ribbon cutting, you know, that photo op ribbon, ribbon cutting, you know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. They will tell you that they've solved our problem. They will right. tell you that they've solved our problem. Um, we're going to have uh, McCarthy and... and um, Jeffries come out there and we're gonna have they're gonna be like you know, because we were bipartisan and we worked for the American people and all that stuff It's gonna be complete bullshit <laughs> uh, But I also think that I also think that there's a way to stop this To, to stop our deficit um, That people are not talking about and that's building creating immigration um, and and uh, you know innovation and, and actually making production and efficiency go up. Now that doesn't mean like force everybody to get two, two jobs. No, that means um, we have a labor shortage, right? And this is people don't wanna do shit jobs for shit rate wages or certain jobs for certain wages. I, I don't wanna say they're shit jobs, but they're just jobs you consider like our lower wage jobs that most people don't wanna do, right? The fact is we, should, we could have immigration reform 
and allow immigration to come in to take some of those jobs. What we're doing right now is there's a lot of states passing resolutions to allow 14-year-olds to do these jobs, work into the night and work in factories and on, on, on uh, you know, conveyor belts and shit like that. So that is a no-no. So what we could do with innovation, we could also have a recruitment um, you know, uh, visa campaign to get some of the best and brightest from all over the world to come over here and build businesses and innovation. You know, we can reshore our supply chain. We can build factories here. We can actually put a lot of investment in our infrastructure. We can change our power grid. We can do all these different things to build up the, the United States to have not a $25 trillion a year GDP, but a $45 trillion GDP in a shorter time frame and allow us to capture more taxes from companies and individuals and these immigrants that are coming in here and these businesses and these small businesses that are able to, you know, still maintain their workforce and so on and so forth because this labor is coming in. And we build our tax base up, not to $4.5 trillion a year, but we turn it into that $7 trillion a year. And that's how we balance the budget. But that is something that's not being talked about. Why? Because it talks about building. It's talking about hard topics like immigration. Um, and People don't want to have that have that conversation. Meanwhile, we have pla places and people and companies and, and 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 businesses that do not have the staff. But we're not talking about, hey, there's twenty thousand people at the border right now. Is there a way to get them in here and get get them to get them to work and to fill some of these jobs? Or are we going to pass legislation to allow fourteen year olds to take these jobs until two o'clock in the morning? Right, right. No, and, I, and again, I, we all know who those fourteen year olds are going to be uh, yes, working. Poor, yeah. The poor kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're dead on. Um, this country, unfortunately, was built on slavery and immigration. And so um, we have to do new, innovative, better work, you know, uh, like certain other countries are doing. You know, you can either grow or you can talk about growth. And we tend to, uh, our politician, getting back to you saying it's going to be a bunch of bullshit, all we do is talk about growth. And then we don't spur new development. We don't spur new, our bridges are breaking. You know, we don't spur new infrastructure. So, um, yeah, I think you're dead on. I, I think we need Here's to- Here's a question I have, for, I have for you though. Actually, let me just, just pose this to you. One conflict of this conversation I see is like saying that, let's not hire our wages, but let's bring in immigrants. And that's what I was saying. It's like, what they're doing is saying, 14 year olds, go take this job for whatever, eight bucks, nine bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour, whatever, so they're paying, right? I'm saying, let's get immigrants in, in and use them as part of your workforce. That does two things. It brings workers in there, but also keeps the wages low. Yeah. And that is a conflict that I know people are like, well, so you just don't want to pay people, so you're bringing in brown people, right? And I understand that argument too. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm somebody that we've talked about some prior podcasts. I, I don't... Um agree with current minimum wage. Um, you, if they're going to pay somebody, you just said eight, nine, 10, that's not a living wage. Um, you don't, and also people that like to say, I believe in free markets. I believe in free markets. Uh, no, you don't because you're not saying to get rid of the current minimum wage. Right. And so we need this social safety net. Um, I do think a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, I do think we need to build from the ground up. And when you put money in families pockets, whether you know is a new family, it's an immigrant family, it's a 17-year-old working. When you put money in your pockets, then you have spending power. That that moves the economy forward instead of operating at a debt where we're not inventing anything new. Uh, we're not you know we're not selling products. We're we're we have a lot of these gig economy jobs, Uber drivers, um, to, you know, computer stuff, and so we do have to I think use use immigration 
that's what we've done for centuries. Right. Use immigration to our benefit right. and also uh, secure those, Im- those people's families with buying power and security. 100%. And I think it actually, it solves a lot of issues I, if we just, you know, use the resources that we have. And it is a border. Yeah. It is a border. And, and it, people, one of the arguments everybody says is it's taking American jobs. It's not taking American jobs because those jobs aren't filled. And if Americans want to do those jobs, and we, the argument is like, oh, but if we raise the wage, then the Americans will do the job. And that's not the case either. They won't do the job. I mean, people... It, I think it depends. It depends. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know because I just don't know. What, what, what's your background? What's your family's background? What do you mean? May I ask? Well, like, I'm, I'm 100% Italian, you know? My, I'm like a fifth generation. Oh, I'm Nigerian, Polish, Irish. Okay, I mean, we all had great grandparents that came over here, and probably too animus. You know, I, I, at one time the animus was against the Irish. At one time the animus was against uh, the Italians. The animus has almost always been against black folk. You know what I mean? And so immigrants, anti-immigrant hate, still resonates today. You know, it's a base kind of, uh, right. it's a base kind of thing. But a hundred years ago, my grand, my great grand parents came over and they were uh, gardeners, they were bricklayers, you know, they, they were bakers, you know, things like this. And so um, people will come over and they will do stuff that maybe my brother doesn't want to do, you know, now, but maybe our great grandfather did want to do. <laughs> well, that's, exa- that's exactly my point. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is exactly my point. Yeah. And, you know, um, when you're coming from, and, and for better or worse, like it or not, there are developing countries with developing country wages and developing country living standards. And the ability to have a minimum wage in America with an American living standard is far better than coming from some other countries and having the standard living there. And so as much as I know we, we want to say, and I know this sounds bad, it's like our minimum wage sucks and, and whatever, for some people it's amazing, right? And it's a great opportunity. And they're gonna come over here, they're gonna work, their, work the jobs 80 hours a week, they'll save their money, live in the same house with their whole family members, and next you know they'll be driving Maseratis down the road because they <laughs> saved all their money, started a small business, and now they're killing it. Yeah, perspective you know? is a hell of a drug, and, 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 and one generation is willing to work for, um, so that their kids don't have to work as hard, right. you know, um, and so, yeah, I think we're both, um, uh, I think we're both uh, drinking the same drink. I, I, I think this is how the country's been, this is how the country needs to be. So to just to, to sum that up, I, I feel that if we want to co- fix the debt ceiling and, and fix our national debt and bring it down and balance our budget, we have to talk, talk about immigration, we have to talk about growth, we have to talk about onshoring our supply chain, building factories here, making things in America, um, and, and bringing, and honestly, we have the, we have the leverages, leverage of the biggest, best country on earth, um, and people wanna come here because of our freedoms and opportunities, and if you offer visas to the best doctors, and the best engineers, and the brightest you know, scientists and surgeons, they're gonna come. I promise you they're going to come. That's who the Cleveland Clinic has recruited forever. Right. I mean, and I think that, and here's what I think. I think that you want to turn around Northeast Ohio, you you figure out a way to offer visas to to the U.S. for Northeast Ohio to build businesses from from abroad. Like Justin Bibb goes out there and goes and works with their congressmen or the senators and says, let's get visas just for Northeast Ohio and reach out to people in Africa and Asia and India and uh, the Philippines or anywhere uh, Southeast Asian country and say, you want to start a business? Do it in fucking Cleveland. 
I bet will blow up, man, because people will be like, really? I can invest a uh, million dollars in Indonesia to create a business, or I could do that in America? I might do it in America. Yeah, I mean. In Cleveland, Ohio. That's uh, and he goes uh, and tells that, all his friends in in, in uh, <laughs> that's a great global in Jakarta. <laughs> you know, kind of idealist view because one thing that we struggle with in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, where most places in America don't struggle with, is out migration. You know, mm -hmm. pe people in Cleveland, and Cuyahoga County, be leaving, believing, believing. <laughs> that's true. So yeah, good point. Good believe point. land is actually believe. <laughs> has been. I'm leaving land. Yep, one hundred percent. Uh, so, man, actually, I hope uh, I'm a, I hope somebody's working on that right now because I think that's actually a good idea. Last thing I want to talk about is an update to um, uh, Jordan Neely, uh, the person who was suffocated in a chokehold by um, an ex-marine, which I don't know why the ex-marine is. It was just called a person. You're right. Uh, but a person on the New York subway. So here's the background of the story really quick. If people are listening to this and don't know. Jordan Neely is a um, Michael Jackson impersonator. He also has mental health issues. He also has a big, long history with the law. Something else we didn't, haven't, we didn't know last time we were, we were speaking. No, we talked about that. Well, long story. Okay, so anyway, he was arrested something like 40 times. Uh, a couple of times he was uh, committed to um, mental health facilities. He escaped a couple of times, uh, apparently, as well. And he has been, honestly, a, a very turbulent individual within uh, New York society well uh, this person on the subway saw him he was doing his I, was he doing his michael jackson impressions while he was doing I, this i don't think so but i don't know he was loud he was i don't think it was the michael jackson he, he was loud apparently uh, according to some he was seen threatening he was seemed disruptive and the ex-marine and other people uh apprehended him and held him until they reached their next stop trying to wait for authorities to arrive while they were arriving, he got suffocated and Jordan Neely died. What is your overall thought on this whole thing? Well, you know, again, as a courthouse lawyer uh, for eight years, I mean, it, you, now we're in the second week of it. The fact finding, the discovery process um, takes months and maybe even actually over a year, you know, years. So I think that, um, Without knowing more, I, my last update I saw was the guy turned himself in, and so. Right, he's gonna be being. Uh, he's gonna have his hearing what either Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, I I think we over indict people um, from my experience heavily, heavily on over indicting and, and grand jury charging. So you know, hopefully that 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 process does start. There should be a fact finding process. I think it should be a criminal investigation. Um, I you know you just did some good really getting toward root problems on like the big economy and how you can get out of debt without cutting social spending and all that. The root of the problem, right, is kind of poverty, mental health. Um, like we talked about a little bit, like good Samaritaning. Like I do not view this as good Samaritaning. I, I, as I said last week, I ride the rapid all the time. You can tell uh, folks next to me on the next seat are, are homeless, maybe have mental health. You know, uh, whatever. I've seen that literally in my life. I volunteer at a homeless shelter. Um, I don't think that the guy should have been in a UFC or MMA Marine chokehold for 15 minutes. I think that, um, again, we don't know what if there was a threat and what it was. Did he did he brandish a fist? Right? Did he put his dukes up? 
Did he say, I'm going to fucking kill you? We don't know. And so uh, while I do believe in um, notions uh, and, and affirmative defenses of self-defense, I don't really know what happened here, but I do think that the grand jury should, you know, they should charge him. The grand jury should find it worthy of, of, a, of a court case, and we should, you know, let the facts be discovered in discovery. That's how this works. Yeah. Um, okay. That's all obvious. That's how the system works. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thanks. Thank you, Ross. Um, here, I, I, okay, I'm going to disagree with you on the Good Samaritan. Yes, we should have Good Samaritans. And if you... Oh, I do think we should. I just don't know that that's what happened here. I think, well, well, well there, there's a name for that. It's called manslaughter, right? And manslaughter yeah. is the crime of killing a human without malice or, or, or for, afterthought. Um, it's not murder. It's basically, you know, you did something accidentally leading to somebody's death. And so... Was this, regardless if this was Good Samaritan or not, this was not the intent. This True. was not the intent. No, this is not premeditated murder. This is not premeditated it's not murder. murder. Right. It's, it's, it's manslaughter. I, There's a word yeah, for I didn't that. Say, yeah, I didn't say murder. Yeah, exactly. This, you know, was but that's why I'm saying Good yeah. Samaritan. So you say, I don't know if this is a Good Samaritan issue. But, that's, but that is the, that's what the word manslaughter is for. It's like there was an attempt to do a certain thing. You can put a definition there without what the results were horrible. And I'm, and I'm really sorry. But at the same time, but at the same time, we want people to go out and, and you know, um, I love when you roll your eyes. People can't hear your eye rolls, Ross. <laughs> we want people to be Batman. We, we don't want people to be Batman, but look, the, this guy, and I don't want to, yes, we have to put in people's history in there, right? We have to say that if it was 40 times, this guy was was charged and in and out of, of different institutions he escaped and it was just like what can we do with this person and then all of a sudden we have this well, one, one situation where it says well maybe he wasn't disruptive i don't know but obviously he was doing something to result in not just one person holding him down it was multiple people holding him down i mean look i understand we have to have a discovery and stuff like that but i want to i want to be open-minded enough to say like hey we have a mental health crisis within the United States. People are going out there and shooting people, right? We see these oh, yeah. signs of mental health all over the time. And then when people don't do something, some, uh, a school gets shot up or, or a mall gets shot up, and we go, why didn't you do something? And this is the case. Now we have people going saying like, well, maybe he was okay. He could also stab everybody, every motherfucker on that train. This guy did something, he acted first. So I'm gonna go back and say, let's look for discovery. But I, I obviously don't, do not think this was malice. He did not obviously come out and say, I'm going to go choke this guy out and kill him. This was an accident. I bet you he feels bad. You said he turned himself in. He's taking yeah, responsibility. Yeah, he turned himself in. Yeah. He's taking responsibility. But at the same time, I want to say, like, this is what we want people to do, is when they see something, say something, take action. If it's, if it's not just mental health people, it's littering in your damn neighborhood. Don't throw the cup of Slurpee on the ground. Put it in the trash can. Well, um... I don't want Batman's out there. I don't want to err on the side of the, the Marine. You know, I have a, a cousin who's a, a police officer. Uh, one time in my grandma's backyard, I don't know, it was 20, 15, 20 years ago, somebody got unruly. He put the person in the sleeper hold. The, the person went to sleep, you know what I mean? Or, or got subdued and that was, but then released, you know what I mean? And so 15 minutes, if the, and that's being reported, it's, it's divisible by five. I, I'm always... I'm always questioning things that are divisible by zero and divisible by five, but the report is he, he had him in sleeper hold for 15 minutes. I watch MMA, you know, um, 
they put got you put a guy in the in the back choke and he taps within usually 15 seconds yeah, yeah. within usually 15 seconds right and so he's tapping and the ref still usually has to pull the pull the winner off and so the tap usually doesn't even do it because you're in a frame of mind. Right, right, right. And, right. and so he, these are complicated issues, but I don't want um, people feeling compelled as, again, somebody who's been on the rapid, who's heard people with clearly mental health, who they come in there with their grocery cart sometimes, homeless people with mental health on the rapid numerous times in my life. I'll do it, I might do it again tonight. I have a, I have a birthday party downtown, might take the rapid so I don't have to drive home with some beverages in me. Um, you, you, if you can't handle that, if you can't handle those rapid rides, don't take the rapid, don't take the rapid. And so, uh, we'll see, that's why I say like, first that's of all, that's an absolutely asinine statement, Ross. Yeah, I, that's it's my life. That's an asinine statement. That's, if you can't handle the rapid don't rides, take don't the take the rapid. rapids. That's right. Fuck you, man. No. No, that's stupid. If you that if is you, absolutely stupid. You should not err. You should on not your have side. to deal with that because here's the thing. That means we have a failure of of of, of mental health in this country. Yeah. It that does not mean that people have to deal with taking the train. You take the train because the train exists and you're being, it's being paid for by taxpayers. And that should be a safe, comfortable, easy ride to take where you have no disruptions of people coming on the train with fucking shopping carts. No, Ross, you don't deal with that. That is a failure of society. You shouldn't have to deal with that, Ross. That is not dealing Again, with it. We're talking about facts that we don't know about, but this is my life. So I talk about I, my, I I understand talk about my your life, life how I want. I understand your life, and, and I'm and, talking about society. You know, right, people and, should not have to deal with that. If you want to deal with that, go right the fuck ahead. Which you're saying is completely true, right? We have a mental health uh, crisis. We have a wage inequity or a poverty crisis in Cleveland. We're the second biggest, poorest big city in the country. Um, so that's what comes along with building your society and saying these things are okay. And Sandy Hook, right? Sandy Hook's okay. Columbine's okay. We've agreed to it. We've agreed to it. It's okay. So now the question is, right, when you get a situation like Uvalde, you know, hey, the cops are just, but now everybody wants to say, oh, you want to have cops in schools. You want to have two cops in schools, three cops in schools. You want to arm the teachers. Well, here's the video from this one. They just stand in behind corners. They just stand in behind corners. So we're not all Batman. We're not, we shouldn't be allowed to be Batman. We don't know exactly what happened here. So that's why it's tough to talk about. That's why it's tough to talk about these things in the first two weeks. But, you know, 15-minute chokehold, uh, if he was just unruly, if he was just unruly, for me, like you said, yes, that's manslaughter. If he attacked you, okay, now if I got attacked by one of these people on the rapid, right? I, I'm telling you, I ride the rapid every week. Uh, you know, I, I would not sit there and let myself get punched or sleepered myself, right? I would either try and run away or try and attack back. You know what I mean? But I'm not the type to keep somebody in a sleeper hold for, for more than, than 15, 30 seconds if I've got them subdued. You know, that's not the type of person I am, you know? So these are nuanced, tough issues that we're talking about. We shouldn't have to be talking about it. We shouldn't have anybody with mental health or, or the, the ratio of mental, you're always gonna have people with mental health. We shouldn't have the ratio of mental health problems that we have in this country. We shouldn't have the amount of poverty and homelessness that we have in this country. We should have public transportation, safe, happy, uh, workable public transportation. We don't have to country. deal with things to take. 
Right, but we don't know that that's what happened here. You know but that's what, what you said you, you do every day. You say, I, if, if you, yes. you said you said if you can't deal with it, don't take the transit. And I'm saying know, that you shouldn't have to deal with it. Yes, no, I don't know the facts of this case. What I'm saying is I deal with on the train. That's, on the what, I, that's what I just transit, said. Yep. I deal with people sitting that. a seat over who are MFing the driver, are homeless, and I would I would and I would, riders should not have to deal with that. This is not uh, if it's, it's, it's no no no. Hmm. No, you don't get on the transit and, and say, oh, yeah, he just wants to I don't the drivers do and that. there with this. With, no, no, you can't. You just said that I, yeah. if, you don't, if you can't deal with it, don't take the train. If you can't deal with it, don't take the train. And it's not, it's not the majority <laughs> That's of the not time. That's the point. The it's, point is you shouldn't have to deal with it. But just, okay, if you take the train 10 times, <laughs> if you take the train 10 times and nine times it, it goes fine, but then one time there's, uh, you know, a panhandler or somebody who's really mad and like MFing the driver because um, the train got delayed five minutes. That happened to me recently. And, and he was just really MFing the driver in, in a real uh, uncomfortable situation. But again, I took the train and the bus to work. Generally, it's fine. But this is public transportation. People who can't afford their own cars are going to take it. You know what I mean? Uh, people with mental health get on the train. Homeless folk get on the train. It's not a hundred times out of a hundred. It's not going to be a smooth ride, but it is a smooth ride. I would say, uh, well over seventy-five percent of the time. And, and, and that's and that's the issue we have here. We say people who can't afford cars, people who can't afford this, then they take the train, which just shows that the the United States and Northeast Ohio's uh, default to if you don't have money, you can't afford. It's not a choice. Is if you can't afford, that means there is something wrong with you. You're tossed aside, and the bottom of the barrel, or the or the mentally ill, or the the discarded people are the ones taking the trains. Now, this is a big contrast to say something in like Europe or Asia, where people, where everybody takes a train. I don't own a car because I don't want to own a car. I don't own a car. It's not because I can't afford it. Nobody can afford a car. Or I live in a big city and, well, we just don't have cars here and there's enough transit to do this. This just shows you where our priorities are, right? I think that's the bigger issue. It's, it's not like, it's not like, hey, because you, you just said the perfect thing. You can't afford a car and you have to deal with these people because they can't afford cars. They can't afford these things. It means if you're poor, you're fucked, right? So we have a issue within the, the United States, within Northeast Ohio, Northeast Ohio, where poverty means you're screwed, and then you have to people have to deal with the thing, the baggage that come with that. What I'm what I'm just saying is like you don't have to, you shouldn't have to deal with anything. Well, we have we we have wrong priorities, and and and, and honestly, it's a you we want to go back to our debts, waste the taxpayer pay our money. It, we have rapid trends that we have to deal with this stuff. Well, I, I mean, you, you're, on, you're, pre you're preaching to the choir because my whole uh, campaign for Cleveland mayor was we need to eliminate poverty, right? We need to to lift lift everybody up because when everybody's lift up, uh, well, that's definitional. But when you lift up those with the least, you lift us all up, right? And so uh, crime is socioeconomic, you know, things like that. So, um, and my platform also was investing in public public transportation. So. Think about what you just said in other countries, right? Italy, Australia, uh, Europe, other parts of Europe, uh, China. They be choosing to take the train. It's a much more... You said they be choosing. They be choosing to take the train, right? <laughs> and, and when I took the bus to work back when I lived in late, you know, when you're taking the bus to work, I really enjoyed it. I, why? I'm not the one navigating through traffic. I can put on a podcast. I can read a book. You know, I can do work emails if I got work emails. So, um... 
that's the, the type, again, this is America, we're the most wealthy of the countries, but we haven't, we haven't managed our wealth well. We haven't managed our wealth well, and we're declining, and these situations are happening. And it, you know, it shouldn't be a last chance, like desperation mode of transportation. It should just be kind of a normal and helpful mode of transportation to us all. Ross, it was good talking to you this week. You too, man.